have a sit down session with any trainer you are looking at hiring, ask them tons of questions, ask them why they program the way that they do, and don't be afraid to fire somebody. You get one body and trusting it to the right person is really important for you to be able to do what you love most to do in the world, which is play music. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists looking for in-depth, career-accelerating conversations about all that's neat for clarinet. On today's show, I'm joined by Angela McHouston, who is a professional flutist and musician fitness specialist. On today's episode, we're going to talk about her own journey as to how she became this interesting career path for herself, uh, also injury prevention, fitness for musicians, of course, and also some dietary questions that actually I have. Um, it's perfect timing for this episode because, as we'll discuss, I'm actually starting a 90-day fitness journey myself just today with a couple of friends. So I'm hoping that next time, maybe Angela and I will connect at the end of that 90 days and hopefully I'm looking a lot more fit than I do right now. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors and supporters for making the show possible and you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to Clarinet wherever you get your podcasts, tell your musical friends, students and colleagues, and I hope that you enjoy today's show. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Carter Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store. Or you can now save 10% on your Legere reads with code CLARENEAT at checkout at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. As musicians, we're always looking to improve our playing and understanding of music, but we are often hesitant to work on the business and marketing side. If you're looking to make more money teaching, fill up the gaps in your schedule and find ideal clients to work with who leave you energized instead of drained after a day of teaching, you need to check out clarinetist Kelly Reardon's Outside the Box community. Get a free 30-minute consultation and personalized recommendations from Kelly by mentioning Clarinet when you register at kellyreardon.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y-R-I-O. R-D-A-N.com. Also, you might want to check out her recent podcast episode with me, number 174 of the Clarinet Podcast. The new Bakun Q-Series Clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series Clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at BakunMusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé Clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at BakunMusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. Hi Angela, welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. You're coming to us today from Nashville, Tennessee, none other. Hey Sean, yeah I am. That's so awesome. I, I, I'd love to live in a city like that where it's a lot hotter. Before we went on air here, we're talking about the difference in, in climate. And uh, it sounds like our winters here are just so harsh. I'm always talking about it. But, you know, Canadians, we always do talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you live where the air hurts your face again? Exactly. You know, I always <laughs> wonder that. I always look at my parents. I'm like, why did you ha- have me here? Why are we, <laughs> why are we living? Why? Yeah, why couldn't you be living in Florida? I don't understand. <laughs> you don't want to live in Florida, though. <laughs> I, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. I've lived in Florida. Look, Look, somewhere where it's hot will be fine with me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyway, so <laughs> tell me and my listeners all about what you do and how you got into this really interesting career path. I find it to be something very necessary, but also very strangely rare to be not only talked about, let alone done. So uh, yeah, tell me all about you. 
I've been injured four different times as a direct result of playing my instrument. As you mentioned, I'm a flute player, but I'm also a, a piccoloist. And piccolo is my piccolo is my main jam. My third injury was a piccolo injury, and my fourth injury was an alto flute injury. So it's it's you know no respecter of persons here. But um, what the problem was every time I got injured, I would go see a doctor, and they would tell me, "Well, you should just quit playing. Like it's a like it's an option." And I had one guy be like. Well, can you change instruments? Like, how about you just change to being a dentist or a neurosurgeon? Like, that's not how that works. You know, it was so disrespectful. And I just got sick and tired of getting that kind of lazy answer. I thought we deserve better as musicians. To be clear, was this when you were a student still? Or had you, like, become a professional and they were telling you this? Yeah, over the course of probably 15 years. So my first playing-related injury, I was 16. I developed tendonitis in my left wrist. Um, it was severe enough that I couldn't even hold a pencil. It was agony. And um, they said, yeah, I should quit playing. I'm like, I'm 16. No, I have auditions coming up. So, you know, they sent me to physical therapy. That helped. I didn't quit playing, but I, they did rehab me there. So that, that did help. Uh, the second playing-related injury, I was all the way in graduate school, and um, I was in the gym and I was doing a dumbbell chest press. I had no idea what good form was. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew it's Monday and Monday's chest day and I want to be fit and this is what you do. <laughs> and it's not what, no, this did not work out well. Because, you know, when you think about it, the way you hold your instrument. So for clarinet, your left arm is in front. The right arm is down below. They never swap, Right. Okay, so if you take that and you hold it up to the side like a flute player, that left arm is coming in front of your body, which means that the muscles on the backside are stretched. And I was adding weight to that and stretching it even further. And I'd been stretching that for, I don't know, 10, 12 years at that point. And it tore. It had had enough. And so I had a severe muscle strain and the doctor at um, Florida State where I was getting my master's at health services said, you should quit playing. I'm sorry, I'm in school for performance, bro. It's not an option. <laughs> yeah, imagine telling that to the kinesiology majors or anybody else. You wouldn't tell that to anybody else. And that's the thing, you know? The, the third injury I had, I was cramming for a piccolo audition. And that the, the word there to focus on is cramming. Always a bad idea. But, you know, it was, it was my dream job at the time. And I realized um, I'd spent all this time learning the orchestral literature for flute. I didn't know any of the rep for piccolo. And I didn't have a lot of time. So I just went full force into it. And I got to the point I couldn't put my arm down. Um, I couldn't straighten my right arm. It was, you know, it was so tight. And there was, my back was so tight. It was going into spasm. I couldn't breathe. And so I go to a doctor and he, again, tells me to quit playing. And I tell him, okay, you're fired. But before you're fired, give me a plan B because I'm tired of this. I have an audition next week. That's not an option. He said, well, what the problem is, you have a muscle imbalance between the left side, left front side of your body and the right rear side of your body, et cetera. And, you know, several others. And what's going on right now is you have a, um, a knot in the muscle uh, on your chest on the left side. Normally when it's severe, as severe as yours is, I would give you a, a cortisone shot right in the middle of that muscle knot. But the problem is it's right over your heart and it would probably kill you. Flute, piccolo, heart, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which are you going to choose, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, he said, well, I'll give you, I can give you this cream. I'm like, fine, we'll take your cream and you're fired. And I <laughs> had I'm just tired of this. I thought, you know, I am sick and tired of this being what we hear, you know, and this has been from high school, graduate school. Now I'm a professional. 
you know, in the fourth one, I was cramming again on a, on a, an alto flute, which is bigger. And so then I ended up with um, numbness that I'm still dealing with thoracic outlet syndrome. And then it turned into double crush syndrome, which is, you know, numbness and tingling and shooting electrical pains down the arm. This is not uncommon in musicians. So this has, this has gone the gamut, you know, of, of my playing life, but I got really tired of just hearing these lazy answers and you wouldn't tell this to any other profession. And I decided, you know, at that point, this was early 2000s. Um, there were not a lot of resources, if any, for musicians, besides maybe some Alexander technique or something, which had not helped and won't help. I mean, it's, it's helpful, but it does not correct the muscle imbalance. It does not increase the strength in the weak muscles. So I decided to become a resource. And at that point, I was, I, was, um, I was playing in some orchestras and I was teaching lessons, but I decided to pursue the personal training path because I thought, I wonder if this is kind of like teaching lessons, but for the body. And it turns out it is very much so. And uh, when I was studying for this, they talk a lot about muscle imbalances in the NASM certification. And the light bulb went off in my head, oh my gosh, this is what musicians need. This is why, you know, looking at the research, up to 93% of musicians could experience playing related pain or injury, 93%. That's crazy. Yeah. So it, the light bulb went off in my head on all this research I was reading. This is what's needed. I'll do this. I love it. And you're so passionate. I can just hear the energy and, and like the <laughs> intensity about this. But man, I don't know if you're going to love or hate me, but I got so many injury stories as well myself. I don't know why thinking back, I've injured myself so many times. Not all of them are playing related. Um, but they've all affected my playing or my ability to play. And uh, most recently, I have had a problem kind of with one side of my back. And I think, to be honest, I think this stems back to when I was in high school, I was playing the marching snare drum and you hold it in this kind of way with one hand doing the, what they call traditional grip. And for those who don't know, it's called traditional grip because traditionally that's how you would play. You'd kind of keep it on your knee and it would sort of be like that. The only reason they do it nowadays is because it looks cool. You hold your drum flat, right? There's no need to play like that. So anyway, I think that over 20 years of carrying that heavy drum, I'm not a huge guy. I'm, I'm not that in shape anymore, I guess. But I have like a spasm on one side of my back. And I was at the massage trying to work this out. And, sh and she said to me, and I had a similar light bulb moment to you, but <laughs> she said to me, yeah, it's really bad. I don't know what to do. And again, here's this cream, like you're saying this and that. And she's like, but you know what you really should do? And I'm like, what? And she says, you need to increase your overall strength and flexibility because she said, you know, the, the bodybuilder athlete type guys I have coming here for massage, they don't have these little stupid knots and stuff. <laughs> and so, so, so two things happened. First of all, I said, wait a minute, are you saying I'm not one of those buff guys? <laughs> but uh, second, uh, I know I was like, oh, that hurts me. That hurts me a little bit here. <laughs> but uh, second, I was like, do you think that that will really solve these kind of little problems. And she said, of course, you know, if you're really fit and in shape and you stretch and you move a lot, like motion is lotion kind of thing, like it gets your body going and you're not going to have little things like, like this crop up anymore. And so I thought that was really interesting. Um, is you, do you find that improving the strength of your bigger muscles then has improved the ability of your smaller muscles to work? Because they say musicians are athletes of the small muscles, but can you have small muscles be effective without the big muscles? That's an excellent question. Um, I don't believe that musicians are athletes of the small muscles. I think we're athletes, period. Ah, I like that. So when, when you think about, uh, there's so many ways to approach this. Um, the body doesn't work in isolation. So you don't play your clarinet with just your fingers or just your biceps or just your embouchure. You use your entire body to play your instrument. Imagine 
how much different your posture, your breathing and everything else would be if you were trying to play and you had no legs. And this was a new situation. Say your legs had been amputated. How is that going to change your entire body? Well, now your core is going to have to work a whole lot more and a lot differently than it was before. How is that going to affect how you hold your neck or how you hold your shoulders or where the balance is with how you hold your instrument? The body doesn't work in isolation. So when we're talking about larger muscles and smaller muscles, they work together. I guess the way to answer your question is yes, they do, but they also, they don't work independently of each other. You know, I mean, I guess your, your embouchure muscles and your finger muscles don't work in tandem, but you know, they are still connected. It's like that, that children's song, like the feet are connected to the yeah, right. legs uh, yep, or whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's so true though. The whole body is like an ecosystem and it works together. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really brilliant what your massage therapist said. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, I'm thinking of a bass player that uh, is a client of mine. And when he first came to me, uh, he had some, some wrist issues, some shoulder impingement issues. He wanted to be stronger overall. And, you know, he wanted to like get swole and all that. You know, he wanted to be jacked too and all that. He wants to look good on stage, but he also didn't want to hurt anymore. And he wanted to be able to play his bass for hours without hurting. So we've worked together now for three years and the shoulder impingement, the crunchiness, the pinching in the shoulders is gone. The wrist elbow stuff is all gone and he's getting close to deadlifting twice his body weight. And he just loves picking up heavy stuff. And he loves how he can load his sound equipment now and not worry about it. He can, he can pick up a thousand pound trailer hitch and like move it around with no problem. You know, and it does wonderful things for your confidence, for your ego, for your stage presence. So, I mean, it's all connected, but yet he's not in pain his endurance is better, his strength is better, all these things, they just all work together. That's amazing. Why would someone want to play bass for hours a day, though? No, I'm just kidding. No. I don't know. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about that to me, though, too, is that like, I, you're talking about the RSI injuries, like repetitive stress injury, which for a lot of people manifests as like carpal tunnel. Can we go back to that for a second, though, and kind of focus on like, how did you get through that? Because a lot of people do have this problem. I had this problem when I was in university. And, and the way I dealt with it, actually, because I was met with a similar not to hijack the conversation, but I was met with a similar problem when I was in about third year, I think it was university. And the doctor said, yeah, like you need to take a break. And I was like, but I, I can't take a break. And, but I realized it actually wasn't the four hours of practicing that was causing me problems. It was the fact that after practicing, I was working in a computer lab and I was typing and then I was typing papers and then I was sitting at home, you know, watching YouTube or whatever and typing on my computer with horrible posture. I couldn't touch type. So I actually decided to learn something called the Dvorak keyboard layout, which does a little less finger walking. And I just started from scratch because I was like, I don't know how to type. So I might as well learn this more efficient layout. And now I can type about 100 words per minute. I never make any mistakes. I have no more pain of that type for years. But anyway, that's kind of how I dealt with that because I'm like, I can't give up the clarinet, but maybe I can give up the crappy typing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Um, so I did. And that saved, I think, half my energy and was able to go back kind of into the playing. But so, that's a hard one to get through, though, because like you said, you can't stop. So what did you do specifically for the RSI? Or Again, do you think it was just kind of all related to general fitness? Well, um, the first the first injury was definitely overuse syndrome. So um, it, it's interesting before I get into that. It's interesting that she said that because I, I end up saying this a lot of the time to a lot of people, it's that it's not just about the imbalances that are created from you playing your instrument. It is also compounded by the effects of, the, of what we're doing in daily life. We do everything in the front of our body. We type, we drive, we eat, we text. 
we garden, whatever we do, it's all in the front. What do we do in the back of our body? Like nothing. We hardly do any pulling, you know, when you think about it that way. So it's just compounded, right? So they're all, again, intricately related. So, I mean, it's not like you play your clarinet for four hours and then lie on the floor and do a bunch of rowing and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like we don't really do that. We just get on with our lives and it's really focused in the front of our body. So, but to get back to your point, uh, my first injury, I was 16. I was at Interlochen Arts Camp. And the problem here, remember I said I was cramming for that audition for the, the third injury. They're related because my body physically, I, I would probably play, I don't know, an hour or two a day. I was the big fish in a small pond. I had nothing to prove to anybody. I just loved to play. I get to Interlochen and I am now a small fish in a big pond. And I realize that, oh, I really have to work to, to oh, I've got, I've got work to do. I got to go practice. You know, I went from playing one to two hours a day to playing eight hours a day for eight weeks with no preparation, zero. The body's not meant to be in that kind of a static posture for that long. And your fingers aren't meant to do that kind of stuff for that long. I mean, think about it. Would, would you, if you've ever been in a sport, you don't just go out and play the Olympics. You have to work up. You have to practice. You have to spend time in the gym and then you go out on the field and play or do whatever you're doing. There's a, there's a preparation phase. Think about when you first started playing. You didn't play for one to two to three to four hours. You played for 10 minutes and then you graduated to 30 minutes. And, you know, there has to be a preparation phase. This, there was no preparation phase whatsoever. So I was just kind of thrust into it. And I was surrounded by all these people who were way better than me. I thought, oh, I've got, I've got to work. I've got to, you know, I've got to find out what, um, what my ability level actually is and, you know, get better and all these things. So how I got out of it Number one, when I came home, the playing level, amount of time I was playing automatically dropped. There's no reason for me to be playing eight hours a day. So the amount of time I was playing automatically came down. So that helped. The other thing is that the doctor I saw sent me to physical therapy. And caveat here, I love physical therapists. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are not, and it is not a cure-all. Doctors love to think physical therapy cures everything. It doesn't. It's just let me put that out there. So do your research if you're going to go see one. There's some good ones and some, yeah, kind of like, you know, doctors and chiropractors and personal trainers. There's good ones and bad ones. So they sent me to a PT or a physio, if that's um, your part of the world. And what they did, if you think about it, they massaged the muscles in my forearms so they, they got the muscles that were overly tight. They got them to calm down. They decreased the inflammation. But then we did a lot of strengthening exercises. They sent me home and had me do these exercises every single day. So I had to build up the strength in my forearms, which sounds funny because you're like, didn't you just overuse those muscles? Yes, but they were too weak to meet up with the demands I was placing on them. So when we get them to calm down, take down the inflammation, and then gradually build that strength and endurance, now they would be able to actually do that. And the pain went away and poof, here we are. Totally. And I, I just, I find that so interesting because I mean, I, I've dealt with several types of injuries, some which are kind of playing related, but were resolved and, and can be resolved. But do you have any advice for people who, I mean, you mentioned earlier legs getting chopped off. That's maybe a bit dramatic, but I mean, <laughs> right. I, I had a situation there where I fell down, I was carrying a glass in my hand like this. I know it's stupid, but 
for those who can't see, like over the top of the glass. But And I wasn't holding the railing. I was walking down the stairs and I slipped and the glass shattered in my hand, went inside the rim of the glass and I lacerated these three tendons. Uh-huh. And I couldn't play... I couldn't play for at least a year. Um, actually, that's when I started this podcast, essentially. That really took me out of the game. So do you have advice for people like that? Do you have a a more debilitating, serious injury? Like, is this type of strength training still for them? Uh, obviously, just to caveat all this, and I'll put a warning at the start of the episode, but get medical help, people. <laughs> don't don't say, I was listening to Claire Neitz, so I did this. <laughs> Please do not self-diagnose. People love, musicians especially, love to say, oh, I have carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, I have tinnitus. Oh, were you medically diagnosed? No. I read it on Clarence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're all guilty of doing that. Oh, I have this. Oh, I have that. Do you know? Do you really know? You know, there's no reason not to just go get checked out and, and you can properly treat something when you effectively know what it is. But when you guess, you waste a lot of time and a lot of money. And uh, you may or may not get better. You could make it worse. One of the <laughs> musicians love to tell each other to just rest and stretch. Well, that can make your problem actually worse. Please don't tell anybody to do that. <laughs> because a lot of times when a muscle hurts, it's weak. So you go to stretch it, you make it worse, right? It's, it's one of those things. And um, so when you're talking about, you're talking about a, if, if you had some kind of a, a serious injury, could strength training help that? Like, so coming out of that, like I literally could not, Play. like it was physically impossible for me to play and so but coming back after you know six eight months of or 12 months of barely using those fingers like it's actually still something I work on kind of bringing back like do you have a special kind of way you'd work with someone like that or do you work with clients like that who've suffered like physical injuries not just playing injuries I don't mean just playing injuries you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> sure I'm trying to think if I have anybody who has well I have trained several clients who have had joint replacements and it's kind of similar. One client in particular, she has had a double hip replacement. Um, When she first came to see me, she didn't walk well. She basically swung her legs from the sides and barely even bent her knees. So we had to get her mobility to a certain range. We had to get her flexibility back. And then we had to increase her range of motion and her strength to repair her to come out the other side of the first surgery Um, to be able to be strong enough to the second surgery. On the one hand, that, you know, when when you're thinking about cutting the finger tendons, um, I don't get too much into hand stuff because I'm not a hand therapist. There are certified hand therapists that are great for that. Um, I had this prime prime example here. I had a pretty serious bike accident uh, January 1st of this year. I ended up breaking my right thumb. I think the bike handlebars went through my thumb, which is how it broke where it did. Um, had to be repaired with a couple of screws uh, or pins or something. I don't know. I was out, uh, dislocated the left thumb, had a concussion and broke my left elbow. So I couldn't pick up anything for months. You can actually go on my YouTube channel and look at some of my videos and you'll see my face all grossed up, but I had all these things that I was going to do and I wasn't just going to stop. So (laughs) you can see it was pretty bad, but being, having a certain level of fitness going into an accident can prepare you for a faster healing coming out of that accident. So do I have a certain protocol? Not necessarily because everybody is different. And like I said, the body doesn't work in isolation. There are certain things we can do to strengthen certain areas. For myself, coming out of that, um, I have now like the left arm is weaker than the right arm because the right arm was able to do much. Um, I couldn't grip with my thumb, but my left hand, left arm I couldn't use at all was told, don't pick up anything for like four months. Don't pick up anything. 
your elbow needs to move or else you'll lose your range of motion, but it's still broken. So don't touch anything, (laughs) which is the weirdest situation to be in. You know, it made me really nervous to be around people. They'd want to hug you. I'm, don't touch me. My elbow's broken. So, so coming out of that, I can tell that my left arm is weaker than my right. So there's certain things that, that I can do to increase the strength of the left arm while maintaining the strength of the right arm. But um, is there a certain protocol? No, not exactly. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sort of did. I mean, I remember some really weird things about my kind of physical therapy with that. And, and one of the strangest ones, which was explained to me by this very specific like orthopedic guy or something. Anyway, but I said like, look, I just don't understand. Like when I'm playing my instrument, I can no longer... It's like I can move my fingers, but when I need to move them, I can't. Like, I, j- I don't understand. He's like, well, what's happened is that your tendons are now kind of like, because they're injured and they're different lengths and stuff, the muscle memory that your brain is trying to exert on your fingers no longer applies. Huh. So you need to like physically look at your fingers and go really slow and get them to move how you want again. Because when you tell your finger to move this high, it actually moves this high. And... It's not working anymore. That's why you're like, for clarinet, that's why you're like squeaking or not closing the tone hole or missing the tone hole or whatever. Like, because your muscle memory is not good enough (laughs) if the muscles are no longer effective in that same way. So that was kind of mind blowing. And I still have a bit of like tension and and problems with this. And I've done all kinds of like massage therapy and uh, physical therapy and even taking various supplements, which allegedly help with, actually, there's a specific one called serapeptase, which I took for a while, which... See this motion? Yeah. I couldn't do that for four years. I took serapeptase for six weeks and it cleared out all the scar tissue or something. And it's, it's anyways, I don't want, again, I'm not making medical claims, but it really helped me. But uh, yeah, it was just, that was a really amazing thing though. Like the whole, your, your muscle memory remembers something that can't work like that anymore. So you have to retrain it. So isn't that interesting? Yeah, I've never heard it, but it makes perfect sense. It does. And it, it was one of those things too, where like, I would never have thought of that, but I'm like, oh, that that explains my frustration and like he's like you haven't lost anything you can still do it in your brain but your hand can't do it like that anymore is that anymore or at that at that certain point you wouldn't be able to uh it's come back a lot now through a lot of practice and trying to bring it back and and um but at the beginning like it was you know like this the claw hand i couldn't move anything i mean you can see my fingers still kind of screwed up that one um a bit of like leg and things on there but uh anyway it was a pretty bad injury and um I definitely don't recommend it for clarinet players. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. But you know, it's funny. Like, I'm thinking last year I broke my foot. Well, that changed how I did things for months afterwards because then I had to learn how to walk without a limp. And then my hips were all screwed up. You know, even if you break a toe, have you ever broken your pinky toe? I've broken a lot of things. Yes, I've broken a toe. I've broken this pinky as well. <laughs> a real pinky, yeah. <laughs> Kismet here. So, you know, when you break a toe your your whole gait is thrown off your body's super aware of not putting weight on this so you alter things and then other things start to hurt you know so <laughs> strength training can definitely help mitigate some of the risks of that so it doesn't get too bad and then when you're able to put weight on it again or able to move it again you know you can increase the the strength and endurance of whatever was damaged but it can also help the rest of your body to not compensate as much causing injury some other way down the line because the body is amazing at compensating. It will do whatever you want it to do, whether it can do it or not, it will find a way to make it happen. Doesn't mean it's a good way, but it will figure it out. If you, <laughs> if you give your body a task, it's like, I will 
I don't have that range of motion, so I'm going to get it from somewhere. It's amazing. It's fascinating how it works like that. It is really interesting. And I, I think that that's another thing, though, that, you know, you're asking musicians who are putting all this work into, let's say, their fingers. And then you're right that maybe they are coping with like their upper back or something if their fingers get tired. And who knows? Like, I don't I don't know what the body's thinking, but <laughs> I see that a lot, actually. So when when I get questions about, you know, my wrist hurts, what do I do? Well, I don't know what's wrong. Maybe your wrist isn't the problem, actually. I, I tell people quite frequently that the site of pain is not necessarily the source of pain. So where it hurts isn't necessarily the problem. And the wrist is one of those big ones. People are like, how do I strengthen my hands? Well, why do your hands need to be strengthened? Oh, I don't know. I, well, I think they do. It's like, compl- you know, because we, we don't understand, right? So for example, if you think you need to strengthen your hands, but your wrists hurt. Okay. So, well, let me back up. Let me back up. A lot of times we think we have carpal tunnel syndrome, right? Everybody has a carpal tunnel. It's underneath. It's, it's, if you're look, watching this, you know, it's at the base of your thumb here, right in the middle. Everybody has a carpal tunnel. So we say, I have carpal tunnel. No, you have a carpal tunnel. We're talking about the syndrome, <laughs> but here's the thing. Most of the time, uh, no, you don't. That's the good news. So the thing is your finger muscles, your, your forearm muscles here, they turn into the finger tendons that move your fingers. So when you get uh, tightness in the forearm that can cause the tendons to swell, which can cause compression in the carpal tunnel, which can cause the numbness, pain, and tingling. So the pain is in the wrist. The problem is in the forearm where it doesn't hurt unless you start mashing around. And it's like, oh, that does hurt. Oh, okay. So, you know, finding things like that. And I find a lot of times if you've got something in the shoulder or your grip is weak, check it, your neck, check your shoulders because the, the pain like I said, it's not necessarily the site that's the problem. It's it's the source. We need to find the source. So you got to trace it all the way back up. What are you doing with your neck? Do we have an imbalance there? Do you tend to jut it forward? We get compression from the nerves there. Is there something with your with your posture in your upper back, between the upper back and your shoulders? We call this upper crossed syndrome, where your head comes forward, your, your chest gets tight, the muscles of your upper back are weak, and it makes kind of an X between what's tight, tight, what's weak, and weak right? That can cause problems in the elbow, in the hand, in the wrist. And we're like, well, what's wrong with my arm? You know, I'm doing all these things. It's not getting better. It's because that's not the source of the problem. It stems from higher up. That's so interesting too, though, because I know exactly what you mean as far as like the, oh, it hurts here, but then, you know, way over here. Cause I've had that with the massage too, is like, oh, what's going on over here. And then they find some spot on your back and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. And for me, what fixed that was Cairo. I don't, Cairo, I don't know if you do any of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But that was another remarkable thing. For years, I thought it was just a bunch of kind of fake science or whatever. And then finally, I was convinced to try it. And within two sessions, some leg pain that had prevented me from going to the gym for like 12 weeks was gone. Amazing. I was like, and it's been gone since I've been going back to the gym. And anyway, but let's talk about that back to the gym, because I think there's a lot of people right now coming out of the pandemic, hopefully. I see you have a COVID comeback challenge on your website. I want to learn a little more about this because it's not just... For me, I mentioned I was starting a 90-day challenge today. And and what this for me means is like, I want to get more in shape. I want to get my playing back. And I want to really kind of be back to where I was before all this, you know, Um, and maybe even ahead of it. Like I've never, I've always been kind of not uh, out of shape, but never really in shape either in this kind of like middle ground that's kind (laughs) of, you never know where you are in that spectrum. But it would be great to know, like, I did this right. I'm actually in shape, you know, physically, I mean. Um, so tell me a little bit about your COVID comeback challenge and maybe some of the things that someone could do 
if they do want to start up with some kind of physical training plan to improve their 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 life and their playing because this won't just affect your playing like you're going to feel better as a person and be healthier too right aren't those win win wins absolutely absolutely i was talking about like we're talking about the bass player his confidence has improved his stage presence has improved you know his mood um he had some depressive things he's dealing with i mean that has gotten better in addition to his strength and his pain going down i mean there's there's really not a not a downside unless you overdo it which you know we can do with everything the uh the covid comeback and i called the covid comeback challenge just because three c's sounds catchier than just the covid comeback the challenge not a core. it's it's as a as a challenge it's basically just for yourself so you're not competing against anybody but the thought of that it's a um i've got a it's a six week or a 12 week so six weeks or three months and you can pick between them but what it is it stemmed workout. Sorry, I didn't say that. So six week or, or 12 week workout. It's instrument specific. And where it came from was, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic, and this was uh, last year, you know, when um, I think we, we came back to things a little quicker than y'all did. And we were back to playing shows and all that. And some of these musicians here, especially had taken the time to rest and they were going at a crazy pace and the bodies were screaming for a break. They got that break, but that break lasted longer than it needed to. And then you go right back to that crazy pace you're at. It's just like when I got that injury at 16, your body was not physically prepared to be able to handle those demands and the rigors of touring and uh, sessions and shows and such. So that's where this came from. So it's a, it's a, it's a six week workout or a 12 week workout. And it basically progresses you. The six week version um, is basically for anybody who's already familiar with the gym and um, is not a a beginner. 12 week is geared towards somebody who's more of a beginner. It's got corrective exercise workouts in there. It's got, you know, some daily corrective stuff. It's got uh, workouts for your instrument in there, but it also will, each one of them will lead you through the different phases of preparation to prepare your body. So just like a warm up, the point of a warm up, um, say I'm going to deadlift, I'm going to do a couple warm up sets. The point, you know, with lower weight and then progressing to higher weight, progressing it before I even get to the weight I'm going to lift. The point of that is to get your, your muscles, your bone, your joints ready for that load. So you're not just doing it cold. And then also getting your brain with brain right with, Oh, okay. This is the motion. This is how I do it. You know, just getting yourself reacquainted. It's kind of like how we, we play scales. We're just remembering, okay, we play it this way. This is how is my arms for feeling? How does my neck feel when I play, et cetera. So the COVID comeback leads you through these different phases. So you don't just go right back to where you were. And by the time you're done with the six weeks or the 12 weeks, you are ready to jump on stage with all kind of energy. You're feeling strong. You're moving well. The um, pain levels that you may or may not have should be strongly diminished because like I said, there's corrective stuff. So there's forearm things, there's neck things. And it just takes into account all the things you deal with as a musician. So physically you are going to be able to get back to the life that you want to play with pain-free because there's nothing worse than finally getting the gig and you hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and I love the fact that you're talking about kind of scaling up the the exercises too. I mean, this is something that I'm guilty of at the gym is kind of, you mentioned this is not competitive, but I'm guilty of like, ah, oh, the people are looking at me or whatever. And because, you know, I, I'll be going there. And when I started getting back into my workout routine a few weeks ago, yeah, I started with like really low weights and you got people that are like, they're next to you and they're doing like such big weights. But what I find funny is that 
they might look at you with kind of a stink eye, but then half the time they're doing it totally wrong. It's like, you're not lifting that with your arm. You're using like your back and your legs and you're boring from that guy. Like it's just, they're, they're like wrenching their whole body and, and that's not really correct either. Like, of course you can lift 190 pounds. You're not using your bicep. Momentum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're swinging it around like it's a, you know. So yeah, moving this 30 pounds is actually a lot harder than what you're doing. You just want to look cool, you know. Right, they're training their ego is what it yeah, is. exactly. What's the benefit of that? You know, if you're, are you going to do, are you doing a half rep or a partial rep instead of a full range of motion rep? And okay, okay, we want to make this harder. You don't need to have your weight. Just slow it down. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it gets a lot heavier. Yeah. I've seen people before too, like they're doing a, a leg machine of some kind, let's say, and like their back is wrenched against the, 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 the seat. And I'm like, you're just doing that totally wrong. You're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to blow out your knees. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Like it just, it's, you're going to pull something or break something and it's just really bad. But so you mentioned these are instruments specific. Are there actually some exercises which you do with your instrument? Like, do I need to pack my clarinet to the gym or are they separated or how, how does that work? Cause that, that is going to be weird. People are going to look at me now. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is one of those questions I get all the time. Does that mean I need to play my guitar on the treadmill? Like, no, that's not what this means. Hey, I have seen people doing that on social media now, though. They're like practicing clarinet on the treadmill. I saw someone doing this. Yep. Yeah. It's just a gimmick. I I know there's a guy who is doing sit-ups while playing the flute. I'm like, why? What's... Yeah, what I mean, it looks cool. Maybe they're performing Stockhausen or something. They've got some like theatrical moves to do. And <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, okay, dude, we know you're fit. Great. Yeah. What, was, that, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, actually, Facebook actually, um, you can see this video. It's it's ridiculous on my uh, YouTube channel. But there's a Facebook actually contacted me like, I don't know, five years ago. And they used me in one of their ad campaigns. Couldn't tell you what it was for, but they had me literally running on a treadmill with the wind in my hair playing my flute it looked so stupid <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool though i know it was yeah please go watch the video it's ridiculous so anyway they're like can you curl your flute like a barbell and i looked at them with this face of like really and that's the picture they put on like billboards of like course. really the face i was <laughs> anyway so the uh the instrument specific workouts what this means is um, and if you go to my YouTube channel right now, there's a whole playlist. You can find the one for clarinet. You can you can do that for free. It's only about 10 minutes. It's a corrective exercise workout, basically. So it takes into account your posture while you're playing the instrument. And these are the most common muscle imbalances that you could face as a clarinetist. And so we're going to relax what's tight. Then we're going to strengthen what's weak. And then we're going to integrate that into a whole body movement. So you can incorporate this into your regular workout. Or in the case of the COVID comeback, I've taken those uh, smaller corrective exercise workouts, but I also have a whole tutorial of instrument specific workouts. They're all about an hour to an hour and a half long. They're all actual workouts, but they come with um, the PDF with extra bonus stuff. And then there's a tutorial and I lead you through the entire workout showing you how to do every exercise um, and explaining why it's there. Because I feel like that's really important as a, as a trainer. Um, you always want someone who's going to explain to you the why. Why did you pick this? Why are we doing this? Why is this important for me? So with all of these workouts, so like the clarinet workout, I'm going to explain, this is why we're using the cross ball on your chest. This is why we're picking this exercise, etc. So the exercises are meant to not just mitigate the risk of injury and overuse, they're also meant to increase the stamina in the muscles you use to play your instrument and increase your strength overall. 
And so how important is the element of, because uh, you mentioned this is non-competitive, but there must be some importance to having someone to sort of check in with or be accountable to. Like, that's why I'm trying to do this challenge that I'm doing with a friend. Um, he doesn't even live in the same city, but like, we're going to use the same habit tracker app and like, hey, you know, I noticed you didn't go to the gym three times this week. What's up with you? You know, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so how important is that level of accountability, like just social and, and societal pressure, I guess. But but and then how important is to actually work with a professional um, uh, fitness trainer? Because and this is a multifaceted question now. I got criticized for doing this in the recent survey I did on the Clarinet community. Someone said, you always talk too much before the question comes out. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. My mind, my mind is just a busy place. But is this a business write-off? Like, can somebody who's a musician write off this sort of thing and thus justify it even more and, and make it worthwhile? So big question here. But like accountability, do you need a trainer? And is this a business write-off? <laughs> yes, yes, and yes, absolutely. Perfect. Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Next. So I, I'll be honest. I would, I would encourage every musician to hire a trainer at some point. Every musician, not every, I take that back. Most musicians hire a teacher to teach them the finer points of playing your instrument, right? We have lessons. Some of us have lessons, you know, even into our 40s, 50s. Some of us never stop taking lessons and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like you outgrow it. It's just, what do you want to learn? Somebody can always make you better. And a trainer is going to tell you, they're going to show you exactly how to do something. So you get that knowledge of, oh, this is what it feels like when I do it correctly versus incorrectly. This is what it feels like to actually progress this. This is how it impacts my playing as, as opposed to doing whatever you saw in a magazine, hoping it's okay to do and don't hurt yourself like I did because I was doing a magazine workout. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. So I mean, I would encourage every musician to hire a trainer at some point, um, but vet them because like I said, there's definitely some bros out there. No offense to the bros, but there, there are some trainers that they don't, they don't have any kind of formalized training. They just say they're a trainer and those kind of trainers will mess you up. Uh, there's, there's a higher likelihood because they do what works for them and then put that on you. And that's not what you need. You need someone that can look at you with a critical eye. And I don't mean critical negative. I mean, objective. And they can see how you move and what you do for a living and then write you a program that's going to be appropriate for you. So that is absolutely a tax write-off and a business expense because so are your medical expenses because, if, because you are your first instrument. And if you, as your first instrument, don't play, you don't make money. You don't get the gig. So you have to stay strong and healthy. I was talking to um, somebody on the phone last night about, put it this way, Dale Earnhardt. He, the, the NASCAR driver, he hired a trainer for his entire pit crew to make them all stronger and faster so that he would win all these NASCAR races because it comes down to that tenths of a second. Well, there are musicians who are out on tour that take trainers with them. Same thing. And they're, they're not just training the artists, they're training, they're, they're, they're training the band members. Cause do you want a band that's on stage? That's just hanging out, trying to get through it. Or do you want a high energy band? What about your roadies and the ones that are loading all the stuff? And do you want them to be able to load in and load out easily and efficiently? Or do you want them struggling, you know, over the course of a six months tour? So this is definitely, definitely a write-off for sure. It's funny you mentioned that. I was actually going to bring up the fact that while the average musician sort of struggles with bothering to get training or, or feels guilty about 
having Cairo or getting an injury or whatever, the actual top tier pros, like they'll tour with a chiropractor. They'll tour with their favorite massage therapist. They bring along a chef's kitchen with yeah. <laughs> like I heard that, that the band Radiohead I like, um, I heard that there's a, a favorite therapist they have in Toronto or something that always comes out with them on tour. And all the band members, like pretty much a couple times a week, a couple times, whatever they need, they just get a massage and work the muscles, make them, you know, relax when they need to. And they bring a trainer or whatever. And it's just like, that makes so much sense that if you're on the road for 300 concerts in 180 days or whatever, you got to have some support team there for you, you know, but same for you though. If you're, if you're doing whatever you do, like maybe you need to find a trainer too, or a massage therapist or whatever, you know, that you can work with. Yeah. I think it's a really good idea for um, musicians to build a team around themselves, you know, and, and that is part of, that is just as necessary as the car that gets you to the gig. Right. So keeping, keeping your body healthy and strong and fit in whatever way that works best for you is, is not just a luxury. It, it seems like it can be a luxury for sure, because the expenses can add up, but anytime you invest in yourself, that should pay off dividends of 10 times more. So if you're able to play and get more shows and more gigs and play longer, and suddenly you're, you're getting booked for as an artist in residence and all these things, you couldn't do that if you were broken and in pain. Yeah. And your point too is very valid about um, the cost. I mean, there's a lot of costs with music. People will pay $40, $50 for a box of reeds, but then they won't go to a massage. You know, it's like, okay, but you're not going to be able to use that box of reeds unless you feel good, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It comes down to how we value ourselves. It comes down to value, right? You know, what would you pay? You pay 40, 50 bucks for a box of reeds because you see the value in that and you will get the best box of reeds there is because you know the value that it's going to bring to your sound. But we, we treat ourselves and our bodies as we just take it for granted. Well, what if it doesn't work anymore? Then, then what good, like you said, what good is that box of reeds? So investing in yourself should pay those dividends same way. It's funny. We don't think about that. We just don't see the value in, in taking care of our bodies the same way. It's totally true. If only there was somewhere a musical fitness trainer that could help us out. Oh, oh, wait, you're you're right here. (laughs) So tell me about your services and how people can, you know, book you online, even for training. It looks like you offer that. I mean, I'm actually interested in that. And um, yeah, just like, tell me how that might work. And, And even if someone doesn't, you know, isn't able to come to you, like, what should they go looking for in their community as far as a music trainer? Because I think that's such an awesome, interesting niche, you know? Yeah, there needs to be more of me, quite honestly. I'm working on a certification program, so there can be more of me. A cloning program? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, personally, I think, think, you know, just like every sports team has an athletic trainer or three, I think every symphony, every studio should have their own musician fitness specialist. You should have somebody there to help you out instead of just being like, well, good luck. Hope you feel better. Rest up. I mean, you know, that's, it's ridiculous. So um, yeah, you can absolutely work with me. I offer, like I said, the, the COVID comeback challenge, um, that is available immediately. And that also comes with, uh, you get an, it's in an app. So all of the workouts, uh, have videos and you have access to me 24 seven. I give out complimentary movement assessments so uh, if anybody just wants to take advantage of that, I am happy to do that. And then we can see if we're a good fit. I do online training. So say, say for you, Sean, say you are familiar with the gym. This is not like, you know, you are, you are familiar. 
you're not a newbie, but you just needed somebody, you need a little accountability and you need somebody to write something specific for you. So you don't have to think it's just one more thing you don't have to think about. So I would do that. Like I would give you a movement assessment. We do it just like we're doing here online. And I'd find out where your individual muscle compensations are. Then I'd write you a program and then I'd put it in the app and off you go doing the program. You can reach out at any point with questions and we do another video session if we need to. And then there's some people that just, they, they want that one-on-one, but if you can't train with me on or in a, in person in Nashville, because not everybody lives in Nashville, but we could do it online. So I'm looking at you, you're in the gym, you're at your home gym, wherever you are. And I am literally coaching you through it one-on-one. So I do that too. So yeah, there's, there's quite a few options. I want to make it as easy as possible for people to get the help that they need and, you know, as, as easily as possible. And if you're looking for a trainer and you, you don't know what to look for, that's completely valid. I've had my own share of not so great personal trainers and some good ones. Uh, I would look for somebody, I'm going to be biased here, but the credentials I have are NASM, CPT, CES. And what that stands for is the National Academy of Sports Medicine, Certified Personal Trainer, Corrective Exercise Specialist. And the reason I, I like that the best is because they're going to look at you with that eye and they're going to have more knowledge of how the body works together. They're going to get a better idea of understanding how you work to play your instrument and what would cause the muscle imbalances you have. Um, versus one of the other uh, certifications don't really have that. NSCA is another good one, but they're a little more focused on athletes and Olympic lifts. So if that's what you want to get into, great. That's another person, uh, another I would look at. I'm biased towards NASM though. So if you're if you're not sure, I'd go with one of the ends. But ACSM and ACE are also okay. Um, I'm just biased towards the other ones. But Actually, have a sit-down session with any trainer you are looking at hiring. Ask them tons of questions. Ask them why they program the way that they do. And don't be afraid to fire somebody. You know, your health is, you get one body. And trusting it to the right person is really important for you to be able to do what you love most to do in the world, which is play music. So if you're listening to this episode, you might be thinking, well, I would like to sign up for uh, her services, and I've got some good news for you. You can do this at her website at musicstrong.com. And also, if you use code ClaireNeat at checkout, that's ClaireNeat, all one word, you will save 10% on either your COVID comeback challenge or any of the personal training that is offered um, in person or online. So thank you so much, Angela, for that. And I do encourage ClaireNeat listeners to go check that out if this is something that you're interested in. I know it is something that I'm interested in, so... That's what I'll be doing after this call personally. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's really great. So um, the last question here, and then we will move on to the lightning round. And of course, this is the part of the episode that is exclusive for our supporters. You can support the production of the podcast at clarineat.com slash join. And uh, you can get a free 30-day trial with code TRIGOLD, I think it is, T-R-Y-G-O-L-D at checkout. So you can try that for free for 30 days, even this episode today, if it's one you're especially interested in. But uh, my last question for you, Angela, is there anything we did not cover today that you wish I did? And do you have any questions for me? I don't think so. No, we're good. We are good to move on. I love it. This was such a this was such a great episode. You're actually very fun to interview. I love that you're very you can't hear on the podcast episode, but of course, but she's very moves her hands a lot. She's pretty much the opposite of me. I'm like at the microphone here, very quiet. <laughs> but some people like to talk with their hands. I guess I wish I did. It does look cool on the camera, that's for sure. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. As I said, we can reach your website at musicstrong.com. Any last words? 
Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, please come by and say hello. Um, Y'all can reach me at any of the social medias. I am on all of them. And come check out my YouTube channel. I've got a whole lot of free content and free workouts and all kinds of stuff. I've also got a book. Um, I forgot to mention this. It's called The Musician's Essential Exercises. So if you're looking for some basics and you're just not sure what to do, um, this book breaks down the essentials, like I was saying, of why you you pick the exercise you do, explains more in depth about what we just covered, but then it also tells you which exercises to do, why to do them, and then it gives uh, short workouts in the back that you can do on tour, backstage, and wherever you are. So go check that out either on my website or on Amazon. Awesome. I love that. And you know what? I'm going to talk to Angela after this and see if maybe we can set up an interview again 90 days from now and kind of reconnect and see who took her course. And maybe I will have too. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Come get music strong. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Angela. And for those who are joining me into the lightning round, thank you so much for supporting the production of the podcast. As musicians, we're always looking to improve our playing and understanding of music, but we are often hesitant to work on the business and marketing side. If you're looking to make more money teaching, fill up the gaps in your schedule and find ideal clients to work with who leave you energized instead of drained after a day of teaching, you need to check out clarinetist Kelly Reardon's Outside the Box community. Get a free 30-minute consultation and personalized recommendations from Kelly by mentioning Clarinet when you register at kellyreardon.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y-R-I-O-R-D-A-N.com. Also, you might want to check out her recent podcast episode with me, number 174 of the Clarinet Podcast. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Carter Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store. Or you can now save 10% on your Legere reads with code CLAIRNEAT at checkout at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLAIRNEAT at BakunMusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé Clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at BakunMusical.com and use code CLAIRNEAT at checkout.